Well, good morning. This, this past week, I was kind of trying to find something, you know, with Father's Day being here, what, what am I going to talk about? What? I'm not a father yet, hopefully one day. So it's, I was kind of going through my mind. It's like, what can I, what can I get out of, out of Scripture that applies to me in my relationship with, with my dad? And so I, as, I was, as I was looking for something, a thought came to my mind about who we view God as. What kind of father do we see when we think about our Heavenly Father? So I want everybody to do something for me. And some of you have already done this, so they know not to be scared. But I want everybody to close their eyes. Not, nothing's going to jump out at you or, or hit you in the face or nothing. But I want everybody to close their eyes and get a picture in your mind when you think of God being your Father. Picture in your mind what He looks like. Just take a minute. Kind of get that, that visualization of, yeah, maybe what He's doing what he's not doing, the things he's showing you. Okay, you can open your eyes. I want everybody to remember that picture that they have in their mind. A.W. Tozer had a quote that says, What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Last Sunday, Aaron preached out of Matthew, I believe it was chapter 18, talking about children and having childlike faith. And when I thought about that, I thought, what, what is the difference between how a child perceives things and how we as adults perceive things. And something came to my mind, a child will believe exactly what you tell them. A child does not come to you. When you tell a child to do something, they do not have pre-existing ideas or notions about, well, maybe that's not theologically accurate or maybe that's not, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The child takes it for exactly what dad says it is and the child does that. In, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, Paul's talking here, and he, he describes an attribute of God that reveals to us who He is, one, one part of Him. Verse 4, it says, but when, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into sonship, because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. That word Abba literally means Father. It's meant to describe that relationship that children have with their dad. But so oftentimes we don't view God as that way, or at least I don't. That It took me a long time to grasp onto that, that God is my Heavenly Father. He's not just a Creator. He's not just there for when I need something. He's not just the genie that I that I ask for or or rub something a little bit and I, he grants me three wishes. He's he's that father figure that I can always look to. There are, there are many different names that describe God, but Abba is one that jumps out to me because without without that term, John three sixteen, a very common verse. One probably one of the most widely known or quoted verses from the Bible. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten 
Son. I don't know about you, but to me that verse would not mean near as much if Jesus was not God's Son. If God just sent some random person that He had absolutely no attachment to to be the payment for my sin, to be the payment for your sin, it would not have near as much weight as it does the fact that God sent His Son. All of you that are dads in here, just try to imagine that sending your son or your daughter to pay for something that somebody else did or is going to do. And as you think about that relationship, there's one, there's one thing that comes to my mind when I think about a father-son relationship, whether it be with your earthly dad or whether with God, and that's trust. If a relationship isn't built on trust, there's not a whole lot there because if you don't trust somebody, you don't trust what they say, you will not believe what they say. If they tell you to do something, you're not going to want to do it because you can't trust the advice that they're giving you. You can't trust that the plans that they have or are thinking about are going to be in your best interest because you don't trust that person. I thought it was kind of interesting, but yet at the same time it made sense that when I, when I Googled what's the difference between trust and faith, Google said there's a very specific difference. Trust refers to a physical relationship where faith is just viewed as something spiritual. Well, for those of us that are Christians, we should know that the only way to be spiritual is to have that trusting relationship with God. So they kind of, the two kind of come together quite a bit. The word trust means to place confidence in something. So do we trust God? Do you trust your earthly father? Some of you, for some of you, that answer may be yes. For some of you, that answer may be no. But I'll tell you one thing for certain, you can trust God with everything. And I asked James to trust me a little bit this morning. I asked him, I said, it's kind of a weird way to open a conversation. I said, James, how much do you trust me? And immediately I saw the flares go up. (laughs) So I told him, I said, you're going to come up here and I'm going to ask you to do something and you're going to do it regardless what I ask you what it is. So James agreed to trust me this morning. So as a little demonstration, James, you come here. I said I trust you, but I was kidding. Okay, now sometimes you feel like you're left out there to dry. You can't really see what's going on behind the scenes. You can't see what God's doing, even though we trust that as I said in Galatians, that He is Abba. He is our Father, our Dad, if you will. But sometimes you're just kind of hanging out there in no man's land. You don't see what's going on. And He tells you to jump. Or in James' case, Paul. Right, James? No, 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 no. <laughs> Straight back. Oh, straight back? Oh, yeah. Do you trust me, James? Uh, I just well, straight back. Well, straight back. He stepped back. Lock your knees. Well, straight back. We may be here a while. <laughs> Uh, 
So how easy is it to trust somebody? It's easy to say that we trust God. But there's a lot of sociologists that would agree, and I would agree with this fact based on my experience, that the view you have of your earthly father typically translates to how you view God. For me, it did. It took me a long time to realize that there was a big difference between my dad and between God. That I can trust God. And as demonstrated by that little incident there, it's easy to say that we trust somebody. It's easy to say that, you know, I trust God as my Father. I'm, I can give Him anything. I, he can bring me through anything. But when the rubber meets the road and it's time to stick your arms out and fall, we want to stick that foot back there like James did. Because it's, it's kind of scary sometimes to just cast everything aside. But it was, it was Paul that said faith without works is dead. Until James can say he trusts me all he wants. But until he stops putting his foot back there to catch himself, he doesn't really trust me. So as I was thinking about that, you know, how do we, how do we get to that point? How do we... How do we trust God as much as we do our earthly fathers? Or for, for those of you that don't have that dad, how do you build that trust when you don't really know, you don't have a reference point for it? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to keep you real long this morning here, but just thinking about a, a trustworthy father-son relationship I thought of Abraham and Isaac. And just a little backstory. You know, Isaac was, or Abraham was, I forget how old. I know Sarah was around 90, and I imagine. Does anybody know how old Abraham was when Sarah had Isaac? Somewhere around 100? Am I right? Somewhere in that direction. I see a few heads shaking. So that would have been a miracle in and of itself for Abraham to trust God to deliver on a promise to give him a son. Starting in Genesis chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 1. So basically, Sarah has Isaac, and Abraham and Sarah are training Isaac. And one day, starting in verse 1, God comes to Abraham with a kind of a proposition. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him here as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So I don't know about you, but when I go somewhere, I like to have directions. <laughs> if I'd like to at least have an address. I will ask people for directions. I know I'm one of the few men out there that do, but I'm not embarrassed to ask for directions or an address because I like to know where I'm going. Here, Abraham didn't really, didn't really have any idea where they were going. He just said, you're going to go do this, and I'm going to show you later what mountain it's going to be, and where you're going to go. 
So there's the first aspect of trust, Abraham's trusting relationship with God. Verse 3, it says, Early the next morning Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So Isaac's saying kind of what we're all thinking, what I would be thinking. You know, here's me and dad going off to have a, have a sacrifice or a burnt offering. We got the wood, we got the fire, but there's nothing there to sacrifice. Never would it have entered my mind that, oh, dad's going to tie me up and put me on there and that's going to be... That's not really the logical solution here. So Isaac had to make that choice to trust his dad. And based on the relationship that we see with them, Abraham was that dad that could be trusted. Verse 9 it says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out with his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, if you, I've always thought of this as Isaac being this little child, probably three, four years old. But if you back up a few verses, verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So if you would have enough firewood to stack on a child for a fire, that child probably would not make it up the mountain. So you have to assume that Isaac was probably a little bit older than when we think. I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old. I'm not, I'm not 100% on that. But he was probably a somewhat of a stout young man. So the fact that there was no fight that occurred by Abraham tying him up and literally laying him on the altar to be sacrificed says a lot about the relationship that they had as a father and a son. Continuing there in verse 11, it says, but when back up verse 10, it says, Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What, what situation in your life do you need to trust God with? Do you need to trust your Heavenly Father with? Abraham was given this one thing that he had asked God for. Was that, that was for a son. God finally delivers and now he comes back and says, okay, now that I've given him to you, I want it back. And Abraham had to make that choice whether he was going to trust God with the entire situation, not part of it, he wasn't allowed to put his foot back there. He wasn't allowed to take a spare along, somebody else's son, so that he wouldn't have to use his own. He had to make that commitment to dive in head first, you might say. And I thought it was kind of ironic this week as I was kind of saw the direction this message was, was going to go. Talking about trusting God, I found myself getting very nervous that 
there wasn't more thoughts coming to me. Isn't that a little ironic? Struggling with a message about trusting God. Not trusting God to provide a message. By making the connection there, was that just me? Maybe that was my own little light bulb moment by myself. Going on down in verse 18, because of Abraham trusting God, verse 18 says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And if you follow the, the lineage of Abraham, it goes down to Jesus. All nations were blessed because of Abraham's willingness to trust in his heavenly Father. So like I said before, maybe you have maybe you don't have that trustworthy earthly father that that some do. Maybe you do. But good or bad, the worst father you can possibly think of God perfects that. The best earthly father you can possibly think of, God multiplies that. There is nothing that he cannot handle, no situation that we can't trust him with. One relationship that I think of and that I admire of how his relationship was with his heavenly father, and that's with David. And in Psalm chapter 23, it's a very familiar song. Most of us could probably quote it by heart, or at least a portion of it. But if you actually dissect the words that David's saying here, it reveals all of the aspects that we should strive to be, not only as earthly fathers, but that we need to trust God with as our heavenly Father. In Psalms 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God is our provider. To lack nothing means to lack nothing. It's not to lack just a little bit. It's not that we need just a little bit more. It says, no, I lack nothing. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Notice, the wordage there, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't lead me to them and let it be my choice of whether whether I lay down in them or not. No, God knows what's best. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He knows how to provide. The end of that verse, he leads me beside quiet waters. If he led you beside still waters, there would be algae, there would be bacteria, all kinds of mucus and other things. If he led you beside rapid waters, you'd be obviously swept away and there would be its own challenges with rapids and what have you. He said, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He is the leader that he is supposed to be. Verse 4, even though I walk through the, valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. There, there's that protector and that comforter. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's a comforter. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup 
overflows. It took me a little bit to get how that would apply, but if you think of God being a shepherd, David obviously would have been a shepherd. The reason shepherds pour oil over a sheep's head, from what I've researched, is in that part of the country, there would be these little bug-type things that would burrow into the sheep's head, and then when they would pour oil on it, it would it would pull those out. To us, that doesn't, I don't think many of us are shepherds in here. There may be one or two, but... There again, <clears throat> there again, the protector and the comforter. Surely goodness, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <coughs> Brings out the loving aspect of God. But the, the verse at the very, the part at the very end of the last verse there, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. David was willing to put all his trust in his heavenly father. But he had to take that step based on who the father was. So can you read this psalm this morning? And can you say that? Can you trust your do you trust your heavenly father the way David did? Do you trust him like James trusted me the first 47 times he tried to fall and put his foot back? Or do you trust him like James trusted me when he kept both feet planted and fell back free falling? Because it's very easy to say, you know, yeah, I trust God. I, I, whatever situation I'm going through, I trust God. But it, it's a whole other story to actually put it into practice. So we all, all of us that are sitting here, have an earthly dad. <clears throat> Good, bad, or otherwise, we all have an earthly dad. Maybe it's a great one. Maybe it's somebody we look up to. Maybe it's somebody that we want to model our own lives as dads off of. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's someone that you can't look up to, somebody that you can't trust. Maybe it's somebody that's disappointed you. Somebody that the only reason you know what to do is by watching what he didn't do. But let's make sure that we know that the Heavenly Father that we have multiplies any experience that you could have ever had with your earthly dad. If it was terrible, he's the exact opposite. If it was great, couldn't imagine anything better, he's far beyond what we could ever experience. So that's all I have this morning. And that's, that was a great reminder for me through studying this, and I hope it was to you, to no matter, to one, number one, appreciate your dads. Because we only get one. Like I said, good, bad, or otherwise, we only get one. We need to appreciate the ones we have. But never forget the truest example of a dad that we have is our Heavenly Father. So I encourage you to whatever the situation is, to make sure you put your trust in Him, because He will never let you down.